In a recent Vice article by Cameron Joseph, we learned that the Democratic strategy to push back against false and dangerous narratives coming from the right is to do nothing. To which I say, no, just no. Now, we're not talking about lies about inflation or the Democrats' handling of COVID, which are bad enough. We're talking about an increasingly large group of people claiming that Democrats are running a child sex trafficking ring, a lie that is believed to be true or probably true by up to 50 percent of Republicans. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene recently called Democrats the party of pedophiles and on Fox, a host accuses Disney of pushing propaganda for grooming, while another Fox host called President Biden the groomer-in-chief. When people started calling Florida's grotesque bill targeting LGBTQ children and families, which has now become law, don't say gay, Juan DeSantis's spokeswoman, Christina Pashaw, said it was an, quote, anti-grooming bill, and anybody expressing opposition was, in her words, probably a groomer. Or, at least, they don't denounce the grooming of four- to eight-year-old children. In response to all of this, and response specifically to what Green said, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, a Democrat of New York, said, I don't even really pay attention to anything she says, because she has nothing rational to say. It seems to me to be a ridiculous allegation. The best thing Democrats can do is ignore the attack and focus on the pocketbook issues that polls show Americans care most about. Tim Ryan, the leading candidate for the Democratic nomination in the Ohio Senate race, said, I just think it's bizarre. I think most people are going to think, like, what are you talking about? It's not even what 80 percent of Ohioans are even thinking about, which kind of makes you wonder what the other 20 percent of Ohioans are thinking about. For his part, Representative Eric Swalwell said, I see polling that shows that the outrageous characterization is landing with some folks, but you also don't really want to give oxygen to the land of misfit toys, which is where this is coming from. Well, I think three things. First, we saw what happened in Virginia when Democrats chose not to push back against Glenn Youngkin's racist rhetoric around critical race theory. Democrats lost the election, and Republicans yet again succeeded in turning a lie into an issue that they could use to scare white voters. Once again, racism won because we didn't fight back against it. Second, Marjorie Taylor Greene may have used more extreme language, but she got the go-ahead to push this dangerous rhetoric because Republican senators in the Judiciary Committee all but accused then-Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, and now thankfully Supreme Court Justice Jackson, of being soft on pedophiles. To use the excuse of not pushing back against Green because what she says is bizarre or because you don't take her seriously is profoundly wrong-headed. I confess, I can't stand having to talk about people like her. Green is an idiot, and she's a horrible human being who has no business being anywhere near the levers of power. I hate even having to say her name, but she is a sitting member of Congress. And although at some point she sat on the fringe of the Republican Party, we need to be very clear that right now she is more representative of mainstream Republicanism than just about anyone else. Finally, if somebody accused you and then had other people accuse you of being a pedophile or a groomer, and not just once, but repeatedly, 
Would you simply ignore something so vile and so horrific? Of course you wouldn't. So why the fuck should the Democrats? Like many of us, especially after COVID, I've been trying to cut down on carbs, sugar, and other unhealthy foods in general. There's so much unhealthy food out there, though, that it isn't always easy. That's why I wanted to tell you about the cereal Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, only four net grams of carbs, and 140 calories in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Their variety pack has four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, and they all taste like a lot of the sugary cereals we all loved when we were kids, but of course, without the preservatives and without the risk of putting you in a diabetic coma. One of the best things you can do for your health is replace carbs with protein, but that's only one reason you should try Magic Spoon. It's the perfect breakfast, quick, delicious, nutritious, but you can eat it at any time, and it's great for the whole family. So go to magicspoon.com slash Mary to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code Mary, that's M-A-R-Y, at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in its product that it's back with their 100% happiness guarantee. If for any reason you don't like it, Magic Spoon will refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Mary and use the promo code Mary to save $5. You can also find the link in our show notes. Thank you so much, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Good evening and welcome to this edition of The Mary Trump Show tonight. I am thrilled and honored to have as my guest again, I feel very lucky twice in one week, the great, the invaluable Norm Ornstein, a senior fellow of the American Enterprise Institute, contributing editor to The Atlantic. Uh, and I can't even believe I get to say this. My friend, Norm, thank you so much for being here. I can't believe I get to say that you're my friend, Mary, and I am delighted and I just want to follow on your rant. Um, of course, agreeing with you. Um, let's go back to 2004. John Kerry was, by every standard, an amazing war hero. The swift boat attacks were vile. They were lies. But the reaction of Kerry and the rest of the Democrats was, don't give more oxygen to this. Nobody will believe it. How could they believe that nonsense? And what we're seeing is deja vu all over again. Norm, I just want to break in really quickly. Can, yeah. can you give some context to people who may not know? Because uh, that's actually, yeah. shockingly, almost 20 years ago. Uh, oh, so if you could God. just explain a little bit, um, yes. because it is one of the most and perhaps the first uh, effective, vile, uh, untrue attack that the Republicans have launched as sort of the beginning of a, a really horrifying trend. So John Kerry... Uh, was in the Vietnam War. He was the commander of a boat. He won multiple uh, medals, uh, including 
I believe, the Silver Star and several Purple Hearts. He was a hero. He was courageous. When he came back from the war, he, and by the way, somebody who easily could have uh, gotten uh, draft exemptions, but who believed that if poor people were going to fight, this Yale guy should have to go over and do it as well. It was one of the most noble things you can imagine. He came back and he testified powerfully about the horrors of this war and American participation in it uh, and was vilified by a lot of people for doing so. Then went on, of course, became a senator uh, and a quite remarkable figure and won the Democratic presidential nomination in 2004 to run against George W. Bush. And uh, early on was leading. Uh, In fact, I remember (laughs) vividly being at the Democratic Convention in Boston and standing with Frank Luntz, who said, said to me, he can't lose. He's clearly a winner. Um, not the best political prognostication. But what happened is because his great strength, which he shared at the convention in a you know quite remarkable speech, a convention that ended up being better known because an unknown figure named Barack Obama gave the keynote uh, there, which vaulted him to uh, the position that he later took uh, of being a nominee and president himself. But he basically, Kerry, talked about being somebody who was a veteran who had fought in a war and was determined that we would not get into endless wars again. The Republican strategy, which is one they've used many, many times, was to try to attack his strength and turn it into a weakness. They got a bunch of people, including some who had fought in Vietnam, The uh, boat that he commanded was called a swift boat, and they put a massive amount of money into uh, television commercials, radio commercials, and of course, as they always do, coordinated with media, their right-wing media, to slime John Kerry and say that he wasn't a hero, he was a coward. Kerry, going back to what I said earlier, thought nobody could believe this. Right. And there was not a concerted attack back. And, right. uh, and he lost, uh, lost the presidency in what was a fairly typical kind of approach uh, of attacking uh, the nominees. So we see this repeated over and over again. You would think there would be lessons learned. And to me, the lesson that you learn is any attack, no matter how bizarre, no matter how vile, no matter how on its surface unbelievable, is going to be believed if it is not countered. But it's not just that it's going to be believed. And what we know now, and you alluded to this, is this is a concerted and organized effort to try and turn the Democratic Party into using the QAnon tactics, the party of sexual offenders and pedophiles. And it's designed as much as anything to activate that Republican base, to get them to turn out in massive numbers in 2022, uh, believing that there's a nobility in protecting children and the country against these pedophiles. And 
they're using it in the way that we've seen other social issues used uh, as well. And frankly, uh, you counter it and have to visibly for two reasons. One and a very important one is there are still potential swing voters out there. Democrats have a number of members, not a huge number, but enough to make a real difference in the House in districts either won by Trump or where Trump came fairly close because a lot of those college-educated, suburban, Republican voters went back to their party identification. They need to be told what danger there is and what awful, disgusting people are doing to use this kind of attack. And at the same time, you know, we, I, I looked at this. Uh, uh, there's a new poll by the Institute for Governmental Studies at Berkeley of California. Biden is underwater in what should be the most blue state that we have. And he's particularly underwater with younger voters. Now, you know, a lot of reasons for this. It includes an awful lot of people who aren't paying a lot of attention to what's going on. And a number of others who think that there's no real difference between the parties. If the Democratic Party doesn't draw some lines and make it clear what the stakes are here, if they can't get that electorate excited enough that they're going to turn out because the alternative is not just the loss of our democracy, it is the loss of every freedom won by LBGTQ people, by people of color, by young women who uh, have lost the freedom of choice in and in the most vile ways. A new law in Florida signed today by the monstrous Ron DeSantis that effectively bans abortion, including for rape and incest. And a new one in Oklahoma that penalizes anybody who performs an abortion uh, with up to 10 years in jail. If they if voters don't understand what they're dealing with here, they're not going to turn out because there's covid fatigue. There's inflation. There's this sense that we're not moving in the right direction. Uh, Another one of the troubling statistics uh, from this California poll is that Biden is underwater, not just on inflation, but how he's handling the economy with what is the most remarkable uh, set of achievements in economic performance that we've had in 40 years. That's exactly right. And and I first I just want to go back quickly and correct something I said. Uh, in the 2004 election, that was certainly not the first time <laughs> that the yeah. Republicans attacked. I mean, Democrats, Republicans. Of course, you always go after the nominee. I think it was the first time they crossed that line and yeah. attacked somebody for his service. Yes. And What's different, and I remember vividly seeing people in crowds at the convention or whatever with Band-Aids, with little purple hearts, mocking John Kerry's very real, and I think he had some serious injuries too, is that there were just little scratches and he was just there to have fun and didn't really do anything of import, which is as far from the truth as possible. But the attacks were subterranean. Like you didn't have George W. Bush coming out and swift boating John Kerry. And I think that might might have been the same election when, uh, you know, underground sources were comparing Max Cleland to the Taliban, even though Max Cleland lost three of his limbs fighting for America, well, for America, (laughs) uh, as an American in Vietnam. So um, 
those kinds of disgraceful attacks felt new, but by ignoring them, not only did John Kerry lose, we're now in a point where uh, the former occupant of the White House said that anybody who enlisted was a loser or a sucker. And you have a sitting member of Congress saying that if you pursue a career in the military, you're throwing your life away. So these opinions get mainstreamed. They become, in a, in a sense, part of the what the party stands for, if you can say that the Republican Party stands for anything. And the same thing keeps happening in other arenas. Um, you know, when, when <laughs> that bizarre conspiracy conspiracy theory came up, uh, I believe it was, it might've been when Hillary Clinton was running against Barack Obama, but I, I'm not quite sure, uh, that she was running a child pedophilia ring in the non-existent basement of a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C. You know, that was considered fringe, even though it inspired some person to go to the pizza place with a loaded gun to free the non-existent children from the non-existent basement. But it, you know, it was laughed off. And now here we are with the Republican Party officials launching these kinds of attacks. And part of the problem, is, and you you understand this better than anybody, is that we're all, the Re Democratic Party is already starting with two hands tied behind his back. One is structural, the Electoral College, the way the Senate is an anti-democratic institution, and to the media, which seems incapable of, as you've said many, many times, learning anything. Um, and then we have the party itself, which is fighting for its life, for our lives, also acting like it's business as usual. How do we get our elected representatives as angry as we are and as angry as they should be? It's uh, so frustrating to me. And I think your, your last point is a very important one. On the right, they have uh, everybody working together to make these attacks. Uh, Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson do the grooming stuff every single night. They're working in concert with all of the lawmakers and the consultants and all the others. And the mainstream media treats these attacks as normal. They don't criticize it much. In fact, they often will, uh, in, an, uh, in an indirect way, praise it as savvy politics. I looked at the coverage uh, given to the uh, Virginia gubernatorial campaign. Glenn Youngkin was portrayed as basically a moderate guy and, you know, no uh, uh, crazy person wearing his uh, vests. And he was just smart because he could give one message to people in the base and another message to the suburban voters. And it was hiding in plain sight that he was a radical racist Trumpist. And now he's doing it. Now, That's right. if, the, if the media are not going to report anything that is abnormal as abnormal and continue to try to normalize the abnormal. If they're afraid to go after the right because they'll be accused of having a left-wing bias, then Democrats have to do it themselves. And when I watched these attacks on Judge Jackson, uh, soon to be Justice Jackson, uh, vile attacks, 
done in the most vile fashion by Lindsey Graham and uh, and uh, Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley and all of the others. And not one of the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee went after them, hammer and tong. And I remember back when Brett Kavanaugh was going through his confirmation hearings, this rant by uh, Lindsey Graham that was over the top. And you saw five minutes after he was done, he was laughing and joking with his Republican colleagues. Mm -hmm. It was not real, but he knew the audience he was uh, reaching. And all we got was uh, Cory Booker beautifully, eloquently uh, sending love to uh, uh, Judge Jackson. Nobody's saying, you monsters, this is outrageous and racist, and you uh, are way over the line with this. And if we're going to get, among others, the African-American community understanding what all of this means for them, if uh, Republicans take the House and Senate and ultimately uh, blow up the election process even further and send us tumbling towards the worst kind of autocracy. Uh, if, if we can't send the message out, an accurate message, then, uh, you know, we're going to end up in the worst possible place. And those two examples you just pointed to um, are really indicative of what a terrible job the Democrats are doing for its base. And it, I have said this before, I, I pull my punches um, when it comes to policy. I am not going to criticize President Biden or his administration about policy because consider the alternative, first of all. And secondly, I understand, as do you, that this is not a normal administration He is accomplishing extraordinary things in the aftermath of what was one of the most disastrous administrations we've ever, and destructive administrations. So I I will not criticize them, even when I disagree. Yeah, you should do this, you should do that. I would do it this way. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the job that they're doing is kind of unthinkably amazing, considering what they got, the hand they got dealt. When it comes to strategy, however... We need to hammer on this stuff because they're clearly not getting the message. The fact that Glenn Youngkin got through that campaign without anybody calling him a racist who was involved in uh, Terry McLaughlin's campaign or anybody in the media. The fact that nobody pointed out that two of the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee who launched the most vile, baseless attacks against uh, then Judge Jackson are seditionists who should be on trial for sedition. Nobody mentioned, um, or as you said, nobody launched themselves across the room and uh, or called the sergeant at arms or whatever you do to remove somebody from the chamber for lying and being just so disrespectful. Um, and, you know, to your point, there are people who had said, well, you know, she can clearly she can take care of herself. Yeah, sure. She can. Of course she can. She's brilliant. Imagine how strong you would have to be to get where she got. That doesn't mean she doesn't deserve to be defended and protected. Uh, and, and, you know, it doesn't mean that the Democrats should not have presented a united front. Uh, so 
that's another way, in my view, of normalizing things. Because if you're not shouting and screaming and calling them out for it, you're essentially saying, yeah, well, you know, that's a that's a valid approach. I don't really like it, but it's, you know, you have a point there. You know, it's uh, not just uh, the Biden administration tactics here, although that's a part of it. I really want Joe Biden to channel his inner Harry Truman. And that means doing some things that may be pushing the envelope. Remember the uh, steel seizure of Harry Truman, um, which the Supreme Court invalidated, but he showed he was fighting for the right things. So, you know, I look at what they've done with gas prices and what I would like to have seen them do. First of all, I want them to really frontally attack uh, Vladimir Putin, but I would have liked to have seen the president haul in all of the top executives from the oil companies and explain why their profits are at record numbers, even as when the price of oil goes up, they immediately raise the price of gasoline. And when the price of oil comes down, we don't see the price of gasoline going down. Um, you know, treat them the way that Henry Waxman treated the tobacco company executives back in the day. Uh, and if they won't come to the White House to meet with him, then go after them on the, on the stump. Go out to Exxon headquarters and talk about it. And use wage and price controls uh, to do something about inflation rather than just playing at the margins here, you know, increasing the amount coming out of the strategic petroleum reserve that will reduce the price of gas by maybe 10 cents a gallon. That is not going to register with people saying you're going to cap the price of gas while we go through this war at $3 a gallon. And for the gas station, independent gas station owners who are going to take a loss, they'll be reimbursed for the losses that they have. Do some stuff that uses executive power. But let's also talk about Congress. Okay. Why don't we have a Senate committee hauling in the oil company executives? Subpoena them. What I've seen in the Senate is they're treating this Congress as a typical one. They make their recesses the same as they always have their recesses. They're not around on the weekends or Mondays and Fridays. Now, you know, you want to protect your candidates who have to go back home. But if you don't understand that your time here to be able to get things done is limited, and if you don't mobilize every committee and subcommittee to get out those messages that we are dealing with violent insurrectionists who have no respect for norms or law when it comes to trying to achieve their ends, who are trying to upend every bit of social progress made since the New Deal and turn us back to some of the horrors that existed in uh, the 1920s and into the 1930s. And when it comes to race, all the way through from the uh, failed reconstruction uh, efforts uh, to uh, the Voting Rights Acts, which have now been upended by the Supreme Court. If you don't have a president going out there and attacking the do-nothing Republicans the way Harry Truman attacked the do-nothing Congress, we're going to end up with a catastrophe in November. And then the next two years are going to be sheer hell, not just for Joe uh, Biden, but for all the rest of us. And that's a, that's something else I wanted to talk to you about, Norm. 
Where are the hearings? Because the Republicans are an anti-policy party. Uh, they don't have any ideas. They don't care. They just want power. And as you say, they want to turn the clock back to 1860, probably, if they had their way. But it always looked like they were doing something. Um, Benghazi, for example, what did they have, 400 billion hearings on Benghazi? Yeah. Now, I understand. I'm not saying it wasn't important to get to the bottom of what might have gone wrong. It, and it, I, a fact-finding hearing would have been reasonable, but it was a, a way to assign blame. It was a way, it was a political tactic to weaken Hillary Clinton. The Democrats have so many legitimate things they should be looking at. Where is the hearing looking into Ginny Thomas? Where is the hearing about creating an ethics panel to review the Supreme Court justices who really should not be above anything? Uh, where are all of those hearings? It just, it seems like they should be pulling people in Every day, there are so many things that went went wrong, so many things that are continuing to go wrong. And, you know, obviously, like the media aren't doing their job. The media talk about inflation as if it's entirely as if inflation and gas prices are entirely under the control of Joe Biden instead of having those things be a global phenomenon because of uh, COVID and because of uh, the Russian aggression against Ukraine. Um, they talk about um, the what's happening with COVID as if we're all sick of it because, you know, Joe Biden is just, you know, uh, dragging his feet when it's something we've been dealing with for this long because of the, the grotesque malpractice of the last administration. So nothing's contextualized. And the Democrats who really are the only people who have the power to get the message out, to craft those arguments, don't seem to be doing it. And <sighs> I mean, is it just because they like seriously think that Republicans are still their colleagues and they just need to all get along? Uh, some of them clearly do. I was, you know, I, I think Chris Coons is a terrific guy. He's one of the best senators I've seen. But I saw him do an interview where he basically said, you know, I sat down with uh, Lindsey Graham and I understand that we're a part of the problem as well. Uh, because of the way they'd handled the hearings on uh, on Kavanaugh and on Gorsuch. He didn't even mention what Mitch McConnell did with Merrick Garland, what they did to blow up the norms by having uh, a Supreme Court justice confirmed eight days before a presidential election. Right. Uh, this, you know, they want to get along with their colleagues, but it's ridiculous if you don't draw lines and show what they're doing, what Mitch McConnell has been doing systematically to blow up norms. And remember, let's go back to the 2016 campaign when the intelligence community leaders met with the uh, congressional leaders with incontrovertible evidence of the Russians moving in to interfere with the election. And Mitch McConnell said, if you go public with this, right. I will denounce you and say you're doing it for crass political purposes and basically intimidated uh, Obama from going public. You know, uh, we are going to get hearings on a Supreme Court code of ethics uh, fairly soon. I know that. Okay. But let's take another example. Uh, you know, We've got companies, major companies, continuing to do business with Russia with war criminals who are basically in the same league now 
with the worst war criminals of the past century. And why aren't we having congressional hearings hauling in the CEOs of those companies to explain why they are giving Russia aid and comfort while they are raping and killing women and intentionally going after civilians and doing the most horrible things that are against every Geneva Convention code and everything else. Yeah, they're trafficking children. Industries and many others. Bring them in and show, by the way, that you're fighting for America and fighting for uh, justice. Uh, the, The fact that you don't have that visible display is, I think, political malpractice. And it's demoralizing. It's demoralizing yeah. to have somebody who should be fighting for us can make a concession, which should never have been made, that, you know, oh, I feel bad that I treated Kavanaugh. No, you didn't. Kavanaugh was legitimately accused of things. We needed to get to the bottom of it. You cannot compare the Kavanaugh hearings with the Jackson hearings. You just cannot do that. When you have Democratic senators basically using the same language Republicans use uh, to undermine us by using the word woke in a way that's disparaging to a Democratic colleague. Um, so, you know, there are some the, the things you mentioned fall, I think, into two camps. There's the one where um, Democrats, for whatever reason, are just afraid of Mitch McConnell. I would have said, I, do your worst, man. You're trying to steal an election. I'm not, I, Russia's trying to influence an election. I'm not letting that happen on my watch. Uh, because you know that uh, a Republican would have done the same thing. And bes- besides which, um, Mitch McConnell... I don't care how long you've been colleagues with him. He's the greatest traitor to this country since Robert E. Lee. He's been for decades doing his best to undermine this country. He made Donald's uh, administration, he made the worst of what happened in that administration possible by never taking an off ramp away from him. And even when he mildly uh, reprimanded him, he always backed him. We know now that he will back Donald if he runs again in 2024 and gets the Republican nomination. So I don't understand it, but if that's the political collegial uh, calculus they're making, I don't really know what to do about it. If they think there's a political cost to that, then that's what they think. However, on the other side, calling in the uh, gas corporations that are price gouging American citizens and making it harder to deal with inflation, which, by the way, wouldn't be as much of an issue if the Democrats have been able to pass their Build Back Better legislation and give people a living wage. But that's a story for another time. Like, what is the downside to calling them in? What is the downside to calling in Coke Industries and making them explain to people why they are perfectly happy to make billions of dollars on the backs of tortured Ukrainian children and their murdered parents. There is no downside. And it's baffling to me that we haven't seen this happen. And, you know, you can, uh, I can see where you might want to be a little bit careful about getting into gross demagoguery. But the fact is, you're dealing with people who have done things that they shouldn't have done, and they're getting away with it. And what they're getting away with at this point is murder and encouraging murder. And going after companies that are crossing lines is good politics and good policy. Force them to explain themselves to a public where now they can get away with it. And what you really want to do, you know, if you look at inflation, the 
two major drivers of the overall inflation are food prices and gas prices, both of which are directly attributable to what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. The rest of it, there's inflation, but it's closer to a 4% level, which is higher than you want, but not catastrophic. It's not 8%. And you want to demonstrate to the American people what's bringing about this inflation and understand that it's a price being paid to keep the world from descending completely into the abyss, but then do things using your executive power to ameliorate the impact on Americans. And there are things that can be done. If the Supreme Court, this radical right-wing Supreme Court, blocks you from doing price controls for gas, when we have a long history, going back to Richard Nixon, who got great public acclaim for uh, tackling inflation with wage and price controls, and if this Supreme Court says you don't have the power to do that, then go out after the Supreme Court. There is no reason at this point to have a kind of civility that you, in a normal time, would want to encourage, but that you can't in an abnormal time. And when we see what the Supreme Court is doing, using this shadow docket so that they don't have to be held accountable for decisions that are being made, using it in a really underhanded fashion and trying to figure out why uh, they're going to be able to destroy people's lives, but creeping up on it with individual decisions. Democrats need to shine light on this and blow the whistle. And it doesn't all have to be done by the president, but he has to start going around the country as soon as he can. And I understand, you know, the main priority right now is dealing with the crisis uh, in Ukraine, but he has to start going around the country and activating Democratic constituencies and those suburban voters to understand what's at stake here and why he's fighting for things that people care about. See, oh boy, I got Henry excited. It's not that. just us. Yes. It's Henry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my parrot was chiming in while I was uh, <laughs> on a show earlier. So, uh, yeah, our animals are wild up. I mean, part yes. of it is because they've been trapped with us for two years uh, because of COVID. But it is it is the stuff of massive anxiety. I want to take a second just to make something very clear. I am a trillion times angrier with Republicans than I am with Democrats. Yes. Um, the reason we're focusing on Democrats is because Democrats do want to do something. They do want to save American democracy. They are the only major party in this country who is committed to democracy. However, you know, Republicans aren't going to listen to anybody. They want power. They're going to use whatever uh, levers they can, no matter how illegitimately to hang on to it or to acquire more. Uh, so this is this is um, this is all said with love, <laughs> because no, and absolutely. Really, and but right? you know, let's uh, hit some Republicans a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit more, so we can feel better about that too, and. You know, I do. I understand that there are people out there who genuinely believe Republicans who believe that democracy is under challenge 
But because they've been fed a line by what is one of the prime Republican uh, strategies, which is projection. Yep. You take everything you're doing wrong and blame it on your opponents. Uh, and so there are, are people who have genuine uh, unease. But here's an example. We have a, uh, a Tennessee representative today who praised Adolf Hitler. Not the As first time. Yeah. yeah. And it's not going to be a front page story. It's nope. going to be treated as, okay, it's just another one of these nutcases. What isn't becoming clear to Americans on the whole is that these are not fringe people anymore. That's right. These are the mainstream. And that's true in state after state. And it's true at the congressional level. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is trying desperately to achieve his goal of staying as leader and becoming speaker, if he can, by doing everything to uh, kowtow to those extreme elements. But those extreme elements, two-thirds of these House Republicans on January 6th voted that the election had been stolen. Uh, So this is not fringe. This is now what is the mainstream. And the leaders are catering to these monsters. And that's true in Congress. It's true across the country. It's true with the vile chair of the Republican National Committee, Ronna Romney McDaniel. It's true with all of those who are not just appeasing Trump, but with those who are playing on the worst impulses. And that, of course, includes the Senate candidate in uh, Ohio, who Trump is about to uh, endorse, J.D. Vance who's gotten a huge sum of money from Peter Thiel, who is contributing an enormous amount of dark money to turn this country into an autocracy. Um, Vile people who are the ones who are winning the nominations and the ones who are getting elected. And if that story is not a main story, the main story for the next six months, at least, hopefully the hearings of the January 6th committee will shed a little bit of light on this. But we need a lot more. We need a concerted effort to make it clear to the American people and especially to Democrats, independents and those suburban voters who haven't integrated the reality that the party they have supported in the past is not that party anymore. If we don't do that, then the worst consequences will happen. And uh, and we're not doing it. And it seems like this would should have been the perfect time. And uh, we that needed to be capitalized, though, on January 6, 2021. Wow. It seems like 500 years ago, but it was only a year ago. Um, and the momentum was lost. And then suddenly, you know, a state of the union comes around and we don't hear anything about January 6. We hear about unity. And I don't want to unite with these traitors to my country. I really, really don't. I don't want them to have anything to do with how this country is governed. And yet, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with how these things are presented. We hear that Mitch McConnell knew all about what was happening behind the scenes um, before the election was even called, before we even found out that Donald got his ass kicked by uh, Joe Biden. Um, And his silence instead of being called traitorous, has been called strategic. So that's part of the problem, too. We don't hear about uh, the uh, anti-Semitic 
um, person in Tennessee. But we also don't hear about the fact that everybody in that room with him didn't say anything. Yep. So <laughs> you're right. It's not just isolated incidents. This is happening across the board at all levels of government. And again, the Democrats seem completely unprepared, or at least a lot of them do, and part of that, I think, too, is because of how these things are always presented. It's it's two Democrat. It's the Democrats' problem because they're not getting things passed. And it's like, wait a minute, ninety six percent of Democrats in the Senate are on board with this. Like the fact that ninety six percent of the majority party can't get something done. One, it <laughs> suggests that there's something really wrong with the system. What we don't hear is that a hundred percent of Republicans are against everything that would make people's lives better. So that's that's the media. Um, so yeah. what do you do when? Well, sorry, go ahead. No, um, you know there are a few things, and here I'll go back and and say that. Um, I can understand why the Biden administration put so much into Build Back Better. If it had occurred, even in a more watered-down fashion, it would have been historic in so many ways. And what's been done uh, is quite historic. And you've heard me say before, and I'll say, uh, uh, and I repeat often, if we had been sitting at the inauguration on January 20th, 2021, and said with a 50-50 Senate and a three-to-four vote margin in the House, We're going to get over $3 trillion in transformative policy uh, that will cushion people against the terrible blows that have occurred with COVID, give us the infrastructure that we need with the crumbling uh, uh, society in a whole host of ways, and provide child tax credits and safety net protection and things that will improve the lives of average Americans. And along with that, we're going to get a remarkable number of judges confirmed, um, and we're going to have some, uh, we're going to rebuild our alliances, which have been shattered under the Trump administration. We would have, people would have said to me, what have you been smoking? Are you nuts? That's impossible. But by focusing on Build Back Better so much, and a slogan that meant nothing to Americans, instead of if you wanted to make this the top priority, and you, I can understand that, you know, they thought Joe Manchin was going to come along with this, and he led them down a garden path. Yeah, well, he lied a lot, so and, that, that was. You know, it, well, you know, as his colleagues have said multiple times, it's like negotiating with an etch a sketch. Just when you <laughs> get almost to the point where you've got the thing, it disappears. But if Biden had instead of saying "Build Back Better," "Build Back Better." had focused on each of the individual components, which are wildly popular, gone around the country, and especially gone to places where there are vulnerable Democrats in the Senate, uh, where you can win a seat in Ohio, uh, in uh, in Nevada, where we actually have a potential problem here with Cortez Masto, and so on. Um, It would have put Republicans on the defensive. Instead, they could argue against this by saying it's more big government, more spending. And they won the framing argument and we didn't frame it adequately. So there's more that we could do. And looking ahead for the next several months, we got to do some of the same things. It is really important to frame the debates. The, The media will not do that. 
the Republicans will win the framing every time because they get out there with one voice and the media report what they're saying as news in a neutral fashion. They don't say these are vile, lying attacks. And Democrats just sit back and say the policies speak for themselves. Nothing speaks for itself. No, especially if your way of explaining it and David Rothkopf made this joke, not that it's a joke, it's kind of depressing actually, that, you know, Democrats uh, bring a 30-page white paper yeah. to uh, to combat a Republican bumper sticker. And the bumper sticker will always win. Uh, and it is a question of breaking it down. It doesn't seem, I mean, that's not too late for sure. No. But another, like, I think right now the most current um, incredible example of how the messaging isn't getting through is in the situation with Ukraine. President Biden has done something that I don't think anybody thought he could do. He hasn't just brought the Western alliance back together. He's strengthened it. It may be stronger than it's been in decades. Yeah. He, is, he has done this remarkable thing. He has gotten Switzerland to stop being neutral. I mean, even Hungary, I mean, they've hedged since, but even Hungary has been on board with certain things. He's getting Sweden and, forgive me, Finland, Finland or Norway, I don't remember. Finland. Uh, thank you. Sweden and Finland are going to be joining uh, NATO um, and presumably everybody will ignore uh, Vladimir Putin's saber rattling. So that is one of the most extraordinary things that happened and we hear about inflation. I mean, it's seriously mind-numbing how at every turn we get thwarted. Uh, And I just wonder, because, you know, we have, what, eight months, seven and a half months? That's not a lot of time on the one hand. Yeah. But, you know, it's not nothing. Um, So how do we turn this ship well, around? It, it is, you know, it, it unfortunately is a very big uh, ship and yeah. it doesn't turn easily or quickly. And, uh, you know, we're almost uh, at a uh, DEFCON 1 situation in terms of getting things moving. And I do think that um, there has to be in Congress a different mentality there has to be a sense that this is that of urgency and there has to be from leaders a much uh, greater willingness to coordinate hearings and strategy. We're not going to get a lot of legislation done. We've got one more big bite at the apple, another reconciliation bill, hopefully, and it's only going to get those 50 votes. As you said, there won't be a single Republican vote for anything That's substantive uh, here in the Senate. And the votes, I think, will be there in the House for doing something more. But they have to take a different approach to it. It has to be focusing on what you're accomplishing, on getting those individual goals done. You have to have an attack strategy to make it clear to the American people what we're facing, what the stakes are, and what the differences are. It is so easy for people to believe that there's really no difference in our lives if the other side wins, which is not the case. This is not normal politics. And leaders, and that's not just uh, the Speaker of the House, the Majority Leader of the Senate, it's leaders of committees, it's Mm -hmm. opinion leaders, have to understand the urgency of what we're dealing with here. And the president has to, I think, take on a different approach now. And I'll go back. It's a Harry Truman kind of approach. 
You want to get out there and talk about what you've been able to accomplish, but you also want to show the American people that you're fighting against evil and you're fighting for them. And that means you're going to be doing a lot of travel and you're not going to be hesitant to take the gloves off and point out the reality I'm not talking about even exaggerating or lying. You don't need to exaggerate anymore. That's right. You can just point out who they are, what they're saying, what they're doing. Now, I'd say one other thing that I've pushed on on House and Senate Democrats over and over uh, uh, to no avail. The best way to deal with some of these policies, the ones that the Supreme Court is pushing through, the ones that are happening in states, is to personalize them. I want every day members of Congress to go on the floor with blown up pictures of constituents who have been damaged by these actions. Get a woman who is going to have her life destroyed because she's been raped and is being forced to carry the child to term. Get ones who have been raped by their fathers or their brothers or their uncles and point out what's happening here. Point to people whose lives have been ruined because of the policies being pursued. Point to people whose lives have been saved by the American Rescue Plan, by the infrastructure package, whose jobs are much better than they have been because of what's happened in the economy. And if you can get those individuals then you're going to find on CNN, on MSNBC, and on other places that some of these individuals whose lives have been transformed for ill by horrible policies, for good because of what the administration and Congress has done, they'll get on TV and people will understand that it's not some abstract thing that we're dealing with here. Right. And you know the word civility came up before, and I heard it in an uh, in, in interview interview earlier today. Um, I don't see how you can be civil uh, with people who call you pedophile. <laughs> you know, I just, I just don't see how that works. Uh, civility is out the window, but that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean that we sink to anybody's level. It means that we tell the truth, that yes. we make things visceral. There is nothing uh, pleasant about hearing a woman or a young girl talk about how she was raped by a father or an uncle or a brother and how a, the state is forcing her to carry a child to tar- the state, by the way, that will then offer her no support yes. or that child, no support, but it needs to be heard because, you know, I, I think there's an entire generation of young people who don't even know what Roe v. Wade is yeah, because they've never had to live their lives before Roe happened. They do not understand just how dangerous it is, just how many women will die horrible deaths if Roe is overturned. And Roe has been overturned in at least three states so far. Oh, more. Uh, more. Um, we're, we're really seeing, um, you know, Kentucky now. That's right. The dominoes Florida, are falling. Florida. Um, where they are effectively zeroing it out. And the Supreme Court, of course, partly with what they've done with the shadow docket, they've ignored their own legal rulings at this point. So yes, that's right. we've got that, but we have something even uh, more. They may not know Roe. They certainly don't know Griswold. No, that's and right. 
we now have people who clearly are ready to basically say that there's no right to contraception. That's right. Um, so uh, we've got so many things that are on the line here that people have grown used to. Uh, they've expected that they're going to have these kinds of freedoms. And whether that's same-sex marriage, marriage uh, across racial lines, where we now have people, uh, you know, senators musing that maybe uh, loving was wrongly decided. Um, you know, you can say that these are individuals, but this is now a part of their mainstream philosophy, what they view that's as right. mainstream. And most Americans, they're caught up with their own lives, of course. They're not following what's going on in the world out there. They're not going to do so unless it's pounded day after day after day. If, if politicians and others don't alert Americans to the dangers that are right at their doorstep, then they're going to end up discovering only too late what it means. And that, that's one of the things that's so frustrating, Norm. We know that if Roe is overturned across America, not just in a few, not just in the red states. Um, if uh, Griswold is decided differently or Loving is decided differently or Obergefell is decided differently, which this radical illegitimate court is perfectly capable of doing, then, you know, people will understand how it's terrible for the, their lives, but it's going to be after the election. So <laughs> we need to, we need to make this, relevant to them before everything is lost. And that's kind of the tricky part, right? That's the tricky part, but I, I would go even further. We're talking, you know, if they uh, openly overturn Roe, and I suspect they'll do it uh, as they already have indirectly, um, and they will allow some of these outrageous state decisions to stand. But remember, you know, the idea of overturning Roe was you turn it back to the states. So now we're seeing states saying that if you go across a state line <laughs> to get an abortion, that's right. then uh, that's illegal. And if you send in uh, the morning after pills or other ways of getting abortions, that that will be the equivalent of trading illicit drugs when right. these are FDA approved medications. We're talking about something that is going to devastate Americans, including those who have some resources to be able to go across state lines. But the biggest effect, of course, is on poor women and especially poor women of color right. who and, will still get abortions and just will in a die. Way that's going yes. exactly. It's there. Yeah. It will kill them. And, yeah. you know. The only it seems it's an odd thing to hang one's hope on. The only hope at least in terms of the Supreme Court, is that they're going to play their hand too soon uh, because the one thing Roberts has been good at, and I don't mean that as a compliment, is um, sort of dismantling Roe in very uh, discreet ways so people didn't really know what was going on. And then in that way, you know, anti-choice people still have it as a political wedge. So if if the court overturns Roe, they don't have that leverage anymore. And then we get the leverage, but we don't want this to happen at all because it's already, I mean, a woman was just arrested and charged with murder in Texas. 
I mean, it was overturned, but that's that's the future in Texas. You know, uh, Missouri is now a pro-rapist state. Um, so we don't have the luxury of time. And it seems like, you know, if Democrats can't figure out how to fight against their colleagues, because I don't know, they don't want to make waves or they don't understand what's at stake, I'm not really sure. There are two issues that, or three issues, I think, that we could just hammer home. One is choice, uh, or not just, you know, just the ability to plan your life and plan your family. Um, and the second one in is voting rights. And the third is simply that Democrats want to make Americans' lives better economically as well. Um, it doesn't seem like that should be that difficult. No, and there are ways certainly of, of framing these issues. There are ways of pointing out what fundamental rights, including the ability of people to make a living, are right. under challenge. That right. if you put uh, the Republican Party back in charge, that your lives are going to suffer and suffer dearly. And at this point, uh, it's not there. Now, you know, Republicans have been very good for a very long time, conservatives have, at uh, playing the victimization card. And for decades, it was that they were victims of a, a culture that dismissed them or that turned against them. And even when they have no grounds for that, it works. If you see yourself as a victim, you are ready to go to the barricades to try and take out evil people who are victimizing you. Democrats just don't have the fire to say, oh, my God, we've got to get to uh, the, the polls because otherwise we're going to be the ones who suffer. And that's the uh, horrible irony here. The victims are going to be working people, many of whom are going to vote Republican because they see those values. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be people of color, including a very large number of Hispanics who are uh, quite happy to vote for Republicans. And they're going to be uh, people from the LGBTQ community who are suddenly going to find that uh, they have to go back into the shadows again or their lives are going to be in danger. We're heading back to some very dark times. And if you can't make the case for why we don't want to do that, if you can't make the case that you're fighting hard to keep that from happening, then you're going to inherit the whirlwind. Yeah. And, you know, that is one one of the very few things I'll give Donald Carter for is that he he uh, took grievance to uh, a new level and he made uh, cruelty an art form. Um, and unfortunately, you know, kindness <laughs> doesn't apparently in the world we currently live in have the same kind of um, intensity for people that cruelty does. Yeah. And um, being courageous or, uh, you know, fighting for something in, in a just way doesn't, I guess, have the same kind of um, draw that, that being an aggrieved little baby does for people. It's quite something. It's really quite astonishing. Because yeah. especially since if there's one person on the planet who has no, should have no reason to complain about anything, it's Donald Trump. But that's a story for another time. So I think that uh, 
it is about appealing to people's sense of um, what America is. You know, what what yeah. is democracy? And it's sort of like people don't really know what it is. People have become distanced from it. We've taken it for granted for so long. Um, people don't really understand what their relationship to it is. And uh, I had a conversation a couple of nights ago, and we sort of came to the conclusion that one thing Democrats need to do, even though in some ways the Republicans have made it hard because they make they've made these two things just sort of in a knee jerk way, kind of unpleasant. But we need to take back the word patriotism. We need to take back yeah. what the flag means. And the reason I say that, you know, that kind of gives me chills is because of what they've done to those two things. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, they have been able to wrap themselves in a the flag. Um, Literally. They're basically uh, figuratively burning it. Uh, and uh, that cannot stand. Uh, and now, of course, the number of people who are uh, loving Putin, promoting Putin, saying that they actually like a strong arm figure uh, is something that is disturbing, but not being attacked either. But to, you know, in a broader sense, Mary, one of the things that's uh, unsettling is democracy is hard. The fact is we have a couple of younger generations who have seen nothing particularly good emerge over the last 10 to 20 years as they were coming of age. Yeah, that's and true. don't see necessarily the value of democracy. And that's something that I really uh, worry about. Um, we're going to find people who ought to know better, who may be attracted to one of these messages coming from a strong arm figure that I'll take over, that Trump has laid the groundwork, Donald has, for a lot of this to happen. And uh, I worry even a little bit less about him winning another term than about a Tom Cotton, a Josh Hawley, a Ron DeSantis, or even a Christy Nome winning mm -hmm. uh, the presidency because they're younger, healthier, and maybe even more ruthless. And, and smarter. Smarter, for sure. Uh, yeah. for sure. And won't, uh, you know, step all over themselves as they move to dismantle things. I look at what Greg Abbott did uh, just in the last couple of days. And here again, I mean, to me, you're taking people who are in the country legally, even if they are uh, undocumented, and you are uh, transporting them across state lines against their will. There's a term for that. It's called kidnapping. And That's what right. do we see in the news coverage of this? It's basically just, well, look at uh, the way in which the strategy that Greg Abbott is using, uh, trying to win another term and trying to take over the lead on the immigration issue. They're not talking about the fact that he kidnapped a bunch of people and took them across state lines. Yeah, well, I guess they're brown, so they don't care enough. Well, I, you know, um, the U.S. attorney down there needs to charge Greg Abbott with kidnapping, with uh, trafficking. Um, that's what it is. And and Norm, I, I'm going to let you go because I, I've taken up so much of your time, but I, 
I learn so much every time I talk to you or listen to you or read you or uh, check out your Twitter feed. I mean, guys, seriously, Norm has one of the best Twitter feeds out there. So definitely follow him. Um, and, you know, you're one of the people who feels the way I do or feels this with the intensity I do. I You don't pull punches and that's what we need. We need people standing up and, and shouting and helping elected Democrats understand that there's no need to pull punches because if you try to um, play nice or play by rules that don't exist anymore, we're going to lose everything. Uh, and you know, if we don't, it's going to be because of people like you. Um, I admire you so much and thank you for your time and your insight and your passion. And uh, I have so much more I want to talk to you about. So hopefully we'll be back. Uh, one of the main things is accountability. <laughs> but that I'll would take, take that like, as a given. And I yeah. love you, Mary. I love you too, Norm. Thank you so much. Stay safe. I'll talk to you soon. I want to uh, finish up tonight with some quick takes. Um, we know that a couple of days ago, uh, President Biden signed legislation outlawing ghost guns. And then uh, I think it was yesterday. Sorry, two days ago. It's been a really long week. I think it was two days ago. There was a mass shooting in the New York subway system. Um, so on the one hand, it's it's great news that President Biden's doing that. On the other hand, it's just astonishing how little, and it's not his fault, it's it's because of the right and because of the influence of the NRA, how little progress we're making on guns. Um, we are so lucky that what happened in New York wasn't worse than it was, uh, and it was quite bad. But at the same time, you've got Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia uh, passing a law making it uh, legal to carry a concealed weapon without a permit. And we know that this current... Supreme Court is going after New York's excellent and necessary gun laws. So we need to watch out for this stuff because um, it's just another area in which we are going to keep going backwards if the Republicans are allowed to control things. Uh, then we have, as as Norm alluded to, uh, Greg Abbott um, pulling these stunts to use immigration as a political ploy, trafficking human beings across state lines uh, to get, you know, to get his face on Fox. It's disgusting. But what he's also doing is he's instituting a policy that every single truck that crosses the Mexican border has to be stopped and um, investigated, inspected. It is backing up the trucks going into Texas with food with necessary supplies miles and miles and miles so what that's happened what's that that's doing two things it's wasting god knows how many gallons of gasoline and the pollution that's going to cause and it's also increasing inflation because a lot of the food in those trucks is rotting because it's they're getting stuck in traffic in the heat so he is making the lives of his own constituents worse 
in order to score cheap political points against President Biden, because that is all the Democratic Party has. And then we have Elon Musk, who has more money than any one person ever should have. And the last I checked, this was not going to happen, but he was attempting a hostile takeover of Twitter. He was going to put down something like $49 billion, which, by the way, would still have left him one of the world's richest people, probably in the top three. Um, And basically, I assume invite Donald back on and destroy the platform for those of us who who still view it as a safe space. But what that underscores to me is the fact that America has oligarchs too, and we really, really, really need to start paying attention to that. So thank you all for listening to The Night Show. Thank you especially to to Norm Ornstein, who is... um, one of my favorite people and one of the smartest, most compassionate and passionate people out there. He really knows uh, what needs to happen. And um, as I said, he is not afraid to speak truth to power. So I'm really grateful uh, that he spent so much time with us tonight. And please remember the show is live every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific at youtube.com slash Politicon. And every Tuesday, we have our strategy session where I bring on a different panel every week to talk about, to talk specifically about the 2022 midterms, what's at stake, what Democrats need to do to maintain or increase our margins uh, in the House and Senate, and also to win in states at every level of government. You could also check that out on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific at youtube.com slash Politicon. Uh, You can also just go to Politicon, uh, sorry, go to YouTube and search for Politicon, uh, or you can check out the show notes and we'll have the link there as well. Follow Politicon, like the episode, and there's a bell. uh, I always use the wrong finger. There's a bell that you can press Uh, And if you do, then you will get notified every time a new episode drops. Uh, If you have any questions, sorry, I didn't get to any of them tonight. But if you have any questions, please send an email to mary at politicon.com. And uh, I will I will definitely get to your questions next week. And uh, you could also look for the address in the show notes and you can look for it on the screen right there. This is also a podcast, so listen on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us a five-star review because it really does help other people find the show. Uh, That is it for tonight. Thank you again so much for being here. Stay safe and be kind.